Good morning. Certainly excited to be able to share a message with you uh, as Andy's away. And uh, I'm humbled to be a part of this uh, new Agape Counseling Services that we're going to be uh, begin here at Jefferson Avenue. And uh, I'm excited for that to begin. And uh, I just want to clarify something. I've had numerous uh, times this has happened already, but uh, you cannot bring your husband to me and say, please fix him. Uh, that's not how this counseling service is going to work. Uh, this person needs to come voluntarily. And so I know for, for some of you that is frustration, but, uh, but uh, we look forward to the great work that we can do through that. Uh, our theme this year, uh, we've been talking about a better, uh, has been our theme. And this morning we're going to talk about a better way. And so we're going to be looking in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 uh, here in just a few minutes. And that's on page 311 uh, in the black book in front of you if you don't have your Bibles with you this morning. Uh, but when we think about a better way, uh, this next year, every year I try to pick out something new that I'm going to plant in the garden. And like, I just kind of like to experiment, uh, hey, what can I grow this? Is this, you know, uh, how can I grow this? Well, next year I plan on trying to grow uh, sweet potatoes. And so I started looking up like, hey, how to grow sweet potatoes. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to eat. Um, but you know, there's so many different ways. Uh, I mean, when you get and you ask people, everybody has an opinion on a better way uh, to grow sweet potatoes. You can grow them in uh, vertible hay rings. You can put them in a berm. You can grow them in, in the mounds and the hills. You can put them in a bucket. Uh, I'm not sure which way I'm going to go with, but man, there's it's just a lot of things that are like that. How to cook a better steak. Uh, do you, you know, reverse sear it? Do you sear it? Do you the, the, do the souvet? I mean, everybody's got an opinion on how to do a lot of different things. And it could be how to grow something, how to, how to cook a steak. It could be how to be the best, uh, grew for Halloween. Uh, Brooks and I had a battle, uh, on trunk or treat of who was the better grew. Uh, and you can see for yourself how great I was, uh, at uh, how to even grow, uh, maybe and have a, a better, uh, mustache, uh, maybe. And, uh, you can look around. Now, I'll be honest, I was gonna, as a joke, I was gonna put a lady's picture on here, like from our church, but I was like, I don't know who I could do that to, uh, that would not get offended with it. I had it in there. I had somebody just picked at random, don't ask me who later. Uh, and I was like, ah, oh, this would be funny. And I was like, afterwards, I was like, I don't know if they'll think it is as funny as I would. Uh, but just know that was in there. Uh, but I, I thought better of it. Uh, and so there's, there's so many different better ways of just different things that we can think about. And so this morning, uh, what I wanted to look at, uh, was just that challenge that we sometimes think of, sometimes we even think we know a better way than what God has provided. And sometimes our world struggles with that as well. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Second Kings chapter 5. I want to give you some background first so you can kind of get familiar with some of the things that we're looking at. Uh, Naaman is a commander of the, your version may say uh, Aram, or it may say uh, Syria. Um, so he, But he's a commander in this army, and uh, this country that he's a commander for, they're not exactly friends of Israel. In fact, you're going to see that he has through his you know, military abilities, has uh, captured uh, some Israelites and even enslaved them. And one of those uh, people that have been enslaved becomes a servant in his household to his wife. Uh, so he and uh, God's people probably aren't on the best of terms right now, but he is well-respected in his nation. Uh, they highly regard him. You're going to see the treatment that he gets from his king, that he's highly 
highly valuable, that uh, he, through God's blessing, has uh, won military victories. And so he's a blessing to his nation. He's a blessing to his king. But one of the things that he has is leprosy. Uh, leprosy, if you're familiar with it, uh, it still exists today in some forms, but it, it's a skin disease, and uh, especially in the biblical times, it could have, uh, really it was rooted in the bloodstream, and so it can start off on one area of the body, but quickly spread, and it could ultimately lead to some horrible physical uh, aspects uh, as far as how the skin looks, but, uh, you know, even from the point of, like, their skin is dead in or it's, you know, transformed. And so we don't know how severe the word that it's used is just some kind of skin disease. And so we probably think that it's leprosy and it's only on one part of him at this point, but uh, it could soon overtake uh, him and it could soon uh, even kill him. And so he is, uh, you know, faced with this, even with all the great uh, blessings that he's experienced. Uh, and so one of the things that I always, I mean, we could look at four or five different lessons from just this one story. But one of the things that you're seeing is God active in a nation that's not even uh, Israel. And it's one of the many stories that sometimes people maybe have the mindset that God only really cares about this one nation or this one family. But this is just one of many situations where you see God active in the lives of other people, other nations. Uh, God is always seeking for everyone everywhere to come to the knowledge of him and come to a relationship with him. And this gives evidence uh, of that fact. So what we're going to do, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 together, and then we're going to kind of dive into a few things. And starting in verse 1, it says, Naaman, the commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, who could cure him of this disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl uh, from the land of Israel had said. And then the king of Aram said, Go, and I will send a letter with you uh, to the king of Israel. So he went and he took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, and it read, When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent to you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God, killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a messenger to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a messenger. He said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I I was telling myself, he will surely come out. He will stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God. He will wave his hand over the place and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. So we look at this story, we see 
that uh, he's suffering from this condition we talked about, and uh, he has this servant girl. Now, this is another, we don't have time to dive into everything, but man, this story is a great story of testimony. Uh, here's this young servant girl who's been taken from her homeland. Probably her parents maybe were killed in the raid, but she is still testifying to the greatness of God and what he can do uh, through his prophet. Now, if you're not familiar with what a prophet is, it's basically, um, I would consider him make a point man for God at this point in time. He's somebody that God uh, works through and works with in order to bring about a uh, awakening of his people, uh, of God, of what he wants, of what he desires, of what they should do, of their need to, to get back in a right relationship with God. That's, you know, his, there's a, a prophet, and so his name is Elisha. And so when you can see how valuable he is. Look at what this, his king does when the, he comes and says, hey king, like I've heard that there's this prophet, there's this person of God, and he has the ability to heal the skin disease. Look at what his king responds to. Look how valuable he is to him. He writes a letter to this nation that he just attacked and took people from and says, hey, like I'm sending this, my servant to you. Like I, I want him to be healed. But he doesn't just send him with a letter. He sends him with lots of silver, lots of gold, with clothing. He is sending him with a great and generous gift for the king of Israel. But when the king of Israel first hears of this, he's upset. He's like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, how am I supposed to heal him? It's so funny that there's a young girl that has been taken captive and she is aware and points towards the ability of God to do something great while the king of Israel forgets about it. But that's what happens here. We won't spend a lot of time on that, but I want you to recognize that. And so, you know, there's this little girl that has more faith in what God is able to do than the king does. Uh, But when Elisha hears of this, he's like, okay, send him to my house. Well, he gets to the house, and when he gets there, he, I, you know, he's obviously got expectations of what this is going to be like. And when he, he doesn't even get to see Elisha, Elisha just sends a messenger to him. And, you know, he gets to this uh, house and you can imagine like, you know, Naaman is a man who's much to be proud of. I mean, he, he's got military victories. He's got a king who, who loves him so much that he releases him from duty to, so he can go take care of himself. And not only that, he sends a letter and all these gifts, all this money and treasure, sends that with him so that he can be taken care of. Naaman is a man much to be proud of. And when he arrives at Elisha's house, he's got this preconceived, like, I guess he, he thinks what's going to happen and that's not even what happens. Elisha just sends a messenger to him and says, Hey, I want you to go wash seven times in, in the river, uh, in the Jordan River, and then you're going to be cleansed. And you see Naaman's reaction to this. Uh, my version and your version may say different. Mine said he was furious. Uh, yours may say he was indignant. Yours may say he was angry. He was so mad, and he was telling himself, like, What in the world? Like, wouldn't it have been better? Like to have gone and just even cleansed myself in our waters, at least our waters in our homeland are cleaner than this. But he's also disappointed in the method. He's going and thinking, all right, this is going to be some amazing thing. There's going to be, he's going to wave his hand. He's going to do some kind of ceremony. He's going to do some kind of special, uh, you know, thing. And, and he's going to come over near me and there's going to be this amazing act and I'm going to be cleansed and, and this is going to be great. And when that doesn't happen, when he's just not even met by Elisha and he's just said, you know, he's told to go and do this, he's like, man, this is, this is not a good way to do this. There's got to be a better way. It's got to be better for me just to go home and dip in water seven times if that's all it takes. And he's angry. He's frustrated uh, at this moment in time. And so, and when I think about this story, you may think, man, why is he so angry? Well, he's, he's traveled 
you know, a hundred miles uh, probably to get there. And here is Elisha, doesn't even come to meet him. He says, travel maybe 30 more, maybe less than that, uh, and go dip in this water seven times and be cleansed. He is filled, obviously, with a lot of pride. And he's decided already in his own mind what God should have done and what Elisha, his point man, should have done. And he's already thinking, I could have planned this better. I would have done this better. He's, Naaman is using his human brain to understand how a divine God operates. And he's thinking, man, God has really fallen short here. His human brain had led him to a lot of military victories. It had given him blessings, even though he wasn't aware that God was blessing him with those victories, uh, in a sense. But he's using his brain thinking he knows a better way to do this, a better way to be healed, and that God is, you know, has given him this inferior plan. And he may not have heard of verses uh, that we are might be familiar with about how God's way is uh, are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that, that there's just a way that we can't even understand and fathom how the creator of all things can operate. And I love that. I love that uh, to see that human struggle because it's a struggle sometimes that I have. And we're going to look at how people in the Bible also struggled with this uh, as well. And I want you to think about this this verse. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. But there have been numerous times in scriptures where God's own people struggle with that. Uh, this morning we were talking about in Genesis, uh, Abraham and, and Sarah, how they thought they knew a better way of how to have the children that God said he was going to bless them with. Uh, you know, they, they took Hagar and said, okay, Abraham, you're going to have children through her, not, not through Sarah, who God said you're going to have through. Let's, we'll work out God's plan in a better way. We know better. Uh, Moses, when he's told he's going to be the spokesperson for God, he's like, God, there's got to be a better person for this. This is a terrible plan. I, I'm not good with speech. Uh, I, I can't do it this way. Uh, you think about uh, God's people throughout their exodus about, man, there's, there's got to be better to way of, of being a people. Let's just go back to Egypt. At least there was food there. This, this leading and following God through the wilderness, there's got to be a better way uh, to, to be provided for than this. God's people have always struggled with thinking that they knew a, a better way than God's will in the moment when he gives it to them. And, and honestly, uh, it's something that I think you know, we all probably struggle with as well. And it's something that even, it, it's not just something I talked about Old Testament examples, but we see it in the New Testament. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. Uh, I think it is on page... 860 in the Bibles in front of you, if you don't have your own Bible. Page 860. Uh, if you didn't know it, Naaman is actually mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, and it's mentioned in Luke 4. Uh, Jesus here, uh, he's in Nazareth, and he's telling the people uh, that, uh, you know, the, the year of the Lord, there's, there's going to be a blessing, and, and he's part of that blessing. And we're going to look in verse 21, and he says to proclaim, he quotes from Isaiah and says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and he reads this, uh, parts of Isaiah, and he sits down, and he, in verse 21 is where we're going to be picking up. He says, he began by saying to them, today as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. And they were all speaking well of him, and they were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, is this not Joseph's son? Then they said to him, no doubt you will quote this. He said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, doctor, heal yourself, what have uh, what we've heard uh, that took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown also? 
He also said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you that there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elisha's day, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, while a great famine came upon over the land. Yet Elisha was not sent to any of them except the widow at Zarephath and Sidon. And then in the prophet Elisha's time, is what we're talking about, there was many in Israel who had leprosy, and yet not one of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they had heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. They got up, they drove him out of town, they brought him to the edge of the hill that was their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd, and he went on his own way. Jesus experienced a people who thought they knew better uh, than what God had planned. And so when the Son of God came, and he told them that there was a blessing that he was going to be a part of, that he was that blessing they had been waiting for so long for, they couldn't believe it. They, they didn't believe it. They, they were thinking, uh, like many people thought throughout Jesus' ministries, that, man, surely, God, there's a better way than, than this. This is the son of, of Joseph. That's how they, they knew him uh, in Nazareth, where he grew up. And so they took that response uh, of what he said, and when he brings up the example uh, of Naaman, he brings up the example of the widow, both people who were outside the family of God at the time, they weren't the part of the people of Israel, yet both were blessed by God and were saved from their condition, as we're going to look at. You know, he's telling them this message of, my own people don't want to hear this message, my own people won't respect this message, this message is going to be taken to the rest of the world, and they will be healed. They will be uh, saved because they will believe it. And they're enraged by this. They're enraged at the fact that he brings up a time where God works uh, a miracle in the life of other people outside of the nation of Israel because surely they're thinking the Messiah that they're waiting for is going to be better than the Messiah Jesus was. The Messiah that Jesus should have been in their minds was the Messiah who brought military might to the nation of Israel. The Messiah that they were expecting was going to overthrow Roman Empire, was going to make Israel the seat of power like they once were, that they were going to punish all these enemies and all the things that they've done to this nation of Israel. He was going to be in some an important family. He was going to uh, have all this military might. He was going to have all this wealth. Surely it wouldn't be this carpenter's son from nowhere, from the city of Nazareth. Surely they knew better than God. Surely they knew better than Jesus how God would operate. And when I think about, you know, just what they're willing to do when they reject him, they're also willing to kill him. And we are going to see that's exactly the end that Jesus faced. He's going to face religious leaders who thought they knew better than God, so much so that they put their Savior uh, on a cross and crucified him. All because they thought they knew better. But Jesus was not only better, he was the greatest thing that God could have given them. Greatest thing that God could have given us. He, he gave that to us and, and Jesus tried to, to tell people that. Jesus tried to explain that, hey, I am going to be the greatest avenue to God. In fact, I'm going to be the only avenue to God. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Another verse, it talks about, hey, there's no other name that man can be saved than Jesus. Jesus came and he faced this kind of rejection because people thought they knew a better way, but he was trying to tell people, I am the only way. 
I am the best way. I am the better way. I'm the way that you can have life eternally through me. And so God has given us the best way through Jesus. And sometimes uh, our reaction can be similar to Naaman's. Uh, sometimes we can uh, hear what God has said, and sometimes maybe the world hears what God has said and, and hears some of the messages from, uh, from God's Word, and they just can't believe it. Uh, the world thinks that uh, maybe they know better uh, than what God has said. And, 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 you know, there's so many different uh, things, if you look at different studies that are going on right now and just different things that people are saying about God, about His people, they feel like, well... You know, God, God was being too exclusive then. God knows better now, and there's multiple ways to, to have a relationship with God. It doesn't require Jesus. It doesn't require the church. Uh, you can just be a good person, and outside of that, you're going to be fine. God is going to, uh, to bless you. Um, and if you look at the, the next slide, that's the, the challenge that sometimes we face is that's the world likes to think that. The world likes to think that, hey, you know, we've got God's Word, but it's a little outdated. I know this is what God said then, but surely he's not serious anymore about some of these things that he's mentioned. Surely he's not serious about, uh, about what he says about uh, marriage and the importance of it. Surely it's okay to live with somebody before you marry them. That just, well, I need to test to see if I am, we're compatible. Maybe we should live together for a few years before we get married. Surely God would understand that. That's just rational uh, logic. You know, we start thinking like Naaman, like, hey, this isn't logical. This is a better way, God. Let's do it this way. And the world likes to do that, too. The Lord likes to do that with scriptures. And, and I'll say, I say the world, but I say sometimes we're like that as well. Because I'm sure there's sometimes we face a situation where, man, God is asking me to give generously, but, man, inflation is killing us. Like, I, I, it's hard for me to want to give at all. Surely he's okay with me just not, you know, giving cheerfully and just not giving at all uh, right now. Uh, surely, you know, God's not serious when he says, I need to forgive someone uh, that has offended me. Like, they've hurt me. How am I, you know, they, they hadn't even asked for forgiveness. They're not even acting like they are sorry. Surely, God's not serious. Surely, Christ is not serious when he says to forgive. Uh, that's not the best way to handle this. The best way to handle this is to hold this over their head so I can get something out of it. God's totally missing out on this great opportunity to put somebody in their place. Uh, I'm going to take the advantage that, that God just apparently is not aware of in this moment, in this relationship. I'm sure if we all were reflective enough, we probably could think of times in our life, and maybe it's been recent, where we decided we knew a better way than God how to respond to something. And we knew what God had said, but we thought better of it and thought, well, maybe this is a better way uh, for me. I get more out of this situation, so I'm going to handle it this way. And, and sadly, I think probably there's a lot of the world that's thinking also along with those lines is surely there's a better way uh, than just Jesus. Surely there's a better way than to having to, uh, to go through you know, the Son of God. Surely God's not so close-minded that that's the only path he set. God, God's loving. He, he's going to create multiple pathways, and it's okay to, to come to him however I want to. And I'm saddened by that. I'm, I'm saddened, I'm frustrated, but at the same time I understand it because I am just like the world in a lot of ways too. That I like to think that I know better than what God has planned. And even though God has given us the very best in Jesus, 
I think sometimes I, I've chosen better things in my mind. In fact, in Hebrews, if you look at it, it's, it's a book that's all about better. And the author of Hebrews is trying to get people to understand they're, they're wanting to kind of somewhat go back to Judaism and they're, they're kind of second guessing this going after Jesus. Maybe we should start sacrificing animals again. Maybe we should start doing these things again. And he's trying to remind them, no, like Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Why would you go back? to what we were doing before. He's given us his very best. In Hebrews 10, it says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made at the footstools for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So in Hebrews, we learn that it's not just a struggle for the people in the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament uh, struggle. But I think it points towards the struggle that we may all face of thinking that we know better than God. Now, I want to jump back uh, to Naaman's story. So go back to, to 2 Kings 5. Uh, you know, Naaman gets angry. He gets filled with pride. Uh, instead of going the extra mile to do something so simple, uh, he's got people who love him enough to encourage him to do the simple thing. Look in verse uh, 12, well, verse 13, it says, But his servants approached, and they said to him, My father, look at, I mean, he's just loved by his king and by the people that he's around. If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, Wash and be clean? So Naaman went down, and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored and became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Then Naaman and his whole company went back to the man of God, stood before him, and declared, I know that there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, in whose presence I stand, I will not accept it. Naaman urged him to accept it, but he refused. And Naaman responded, If not, please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or a sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. Man, look at this transformation that we, we see take place. Naaman is, is given some other reasoning and logic uh, by his servants who call him father. They say, look, he's asking you to do something simple. Just, just do it. It's so simple. You do something great, just do the simple thing. And so he goes and does it, and he's just amazed. He's cleansed. You know, he, he does exactly what God has asked him to do through Elijah, and he is cleansed. And he and his whole company, they come back to Elijah... And look at what they give, this testimony uh, of who God is. They say, there is no other God than the God of Israel. There's no other God for us to worship. There's no other God to praise. There's no other God that I want to make a sacrifice to from now on except this God, this God who heals. Surely at this point, he has recognized that, man, I thought... I knew a better way, but God has given me the very best way, and I'm cleansed for it. When we look at just this, this journey that he takes, I think it's important to look at a, two, a few things. Is, is one, before Naaman is healed, he first has to be humbled. 
He's got to let loose of that pride that he thinks he knows better. He's got to let loose of that pride of thinking, I know of a better way, and he's got to submit. Now, isn't that the, the path that we all face? When we decide that we are going to follow God, that we are going to put on Jesus in baptism, that he is the only way to God, and we are going to submit to that, but we're also going to submit that he is Lord of our life. And that everything, everything that I think I might know a better way to do it, I will now submit and do it the Lord's way. Because that is the best way. That is the only way. That is the only way that I can uh, be blessed with God's salvation. That's the only way my life is going to be blessed with the richness of Jesus' grace. Is by doing what he says. And not maybe what I want to do or what I think is better. And, and that is hard. I, you know, I, I struggle sometimes with wanting to, to humble myself to do things that God would have me do. And, you know, I love that it, can, that it pairs it up, that, it, you know, hey, he, he's giving you something simple to do. And I think a lot of times I like to complicate those simple things, make them more complicated, make them harder than they have to be, when all he's asking for me to do is just simply submit and obey and do what he says. When we try to teach our kids, what is it? What does it mean to follow Jesus? You know, it, it's, it's pretty simple. We want you to, to love others. We want you to be a disciple. We want you to do what Jesus did. We want you to pray. We want you to give. You know, it's, it's not a super complicated thing to understand, but it is complicated by the pride in our lives. It's complicated by our human brains trying to outsmart or outfigure God and find better ways than what he's given us. But he's given us the best way. He's given us Jesus, his only son. He couldn't give us anything greater than him to follow. And I love, you know, I talked about the testimony, and that's what I love. I, I love that Naaman now goes back as a testimony of God's greatness in a nation that probably didn't recognize God at all. And he's like, I'm not going to make sacrifices. And if you keep reading, you know, he, he says, hey, I'm going to have to be in the presence of my king who doesn't recognize God yet. He's like, please forgive me for having to, to be in his presence when he's worshiping other guys. Just know in my heart, I'm not. And Elisha blesses him and understands the, the predicament that he's in. And, uh, and not that he's trying to worship another God, he knows. Uh, he's, you know, God knows his heart. But he, he walks away as a testimony. Now, I like to wonder and think, you know, that was a servant girl. You know, this girl was a slave that told him about this God who could heal. What do you think their relationship was like when he got back? You know, this was now his sister in faith, if you want to draw that into a New Testament term. What do you think that was like? Do you think he, he didn't just see her now as some servant girl he could just miss? I don't know. I hope to think that their relationship was different. That they are now sisters in the same faith. I hope to think that he went and started asking her about this God that she had told him about. Wanting to know more about who he was and that she was able to still give a powerful testimony of who God was, even in a tough situation. And I think when we think about our lives, when we truly follow the best way that God has given us and we decide that we are going to be all that Jesus has called to be and we're going to start doing those simple things that he's asked us to do, we become like Naaman, a walking testimony of the power of God to cleanse us from our sins and to transform us into the image of his son. And we can take that message into areas of our lives where people may not even know or are aware of God. And we can point them towards him in the way that Naaman was going to leave and do the same. 
Naaman, uh, you know, with this humility, you know, he, he was able uh, to choose the very best thing. And because of that, he was able to be healed. And, and I want you to know, if you're here this morning, that that same offer extends to you. Naaman chose the best way, and he did exactly what God asked him to do, and he was cleansed from leprosy. That if today you decide that you want to do what God has asked of you, that you want to follow him, that you want to put on Christ in baptism, that, he has, that you recognize that Jesus is the greatest and best way for you to have a relationship with God, that you can be cleansed from sin. That he can wash that away, that you can be just like Naaman, that you can walk away cleansed from your sin, and you can walk away as a testimony to God's greatness. And God wants to give you his very best through Jesus. He wants you to accept it. He wants you to rejoice in it. He wants you to grow in it. He wants you to produce fruits in the greatest thing that he has given you and offered you. And maybe this morning you're thinking, man, I've just, you know, this has not been who I've been lately. I haven't been the testimony like this uh, girl of God's greatness. Uh, I haven't proclaimed his goodness to people who need to hear it. Or or maybe you're like me and you've been living up to the best uh, way that you feel like you should do stuff. And it hasn't been God's way every time. Know that God forgives. Know that God will forgive. Know that you can come forward and, and you can request prayers of strength, prayers of forgiveness, prayers to just for God to help tear down that pride that we have so that you can live humbly before him and be that testimony he needs you to be. If there's a way that we can help you this morning, if there's a way that we can encourage you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing. Waiting in the cross, he will tell you to.